All right, coming up on Dish and Dirt with Gary. Today, we're going to have our guest, Candace McEwen from XL Real Estate. She and I are going to dive into the wholesaling business. What does it mean? Is it legal? Can it work out? We're going to take a quick look at the corona closing craziness. This hopefully will give you a good laugh. After that, we're going to follow up with my favorite part, which is going to be Gary's Good News Only. This is where I'm going to share only good news about our economy, the real estate market, and maybe even some good coronavirus news that you're just not going to catch everywhere on the radio or television. If you like this little show, I need you to do us a favor. Catch us on YouTube. You can search Blair Cato and get access to all of our videos, entire library of legal tips and other things we've done over the years, including uh, riding around in cars, talking with brokers, or you can follow me on Instagram or Facebook. If you would also please subscribe and like like our podcast, you can rate us and review us. Um, five stars would be the appropriate number of stars that I hope you will give us. And if you like us, please come back and we will do this again real soon. Let me spend a minute here on what you can expect in our future podcast. Now, as many of you know, I began a weekly video series called Legal Tips using the BombBomb platform, and that has been hugely successful for us. We've grown that platform to about 5,000 subscribers. And they have come from across South Carolina, real estate agents in from Florida, Massachusetts, Illinois have begun following us on that platform. And we've had a lot of fun along the way doing that and hopefully have provided you all a lot of good information. Well, a lot of you subscribers have asked us to do a podcast. So here we are. Now, we're going to try to publish a podcast every other week. And I think during that time, we're going to try to cover topics like wholesaling, seller disclosure, um, contract issues. We're going to get into some marketing matters. We'll even talk about how to survive downturns in the market and good times in the market and things of that nature. And we'll probably even throw in a good guest or two along the way. And speaking of guests, I have a wonderful guest with us today, Candace McEwen of XL Real Estate. Welcome, Candace. Wow, Gary, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here with you. Well, cool. You're our very first guest on our podcast, thank which is fantastic. You. You're number one. Look at that. That's, That's awesome. awesome. Thank well, I'm you. I'm happy to have you. So uh, Candace, in case you guys don't know, she owns XL Real Estate, um, and it has exploded since you and I have met. You were like at, what, five agents? Yes. How much are you up to now? We have over 100 agents. Wow. And that's yes. been like in, what, two years or three years? It's been we'll a short be, period of time. Yes. We'll celebrate our three-year anniversary October 2nd, so just a couple wow. more weeks. What a growth. So where else are all you in now? We are headquartered right here in Columbia. Right. We also just launched Sumter, right. and we are in Charleston and about to be in Charlotte, North Carolina. Wow. And the best thing about Candace, there's a lot of good things about her, but one of my favorite things about Candace is her mom. Um, her mom is like, I call her the Campbell Soup Mom. You remember the commercials when the athlete was on the sidelines and the mom was there with the yes, soup? That's, that's your mom. mom. Your yes. mom. And your mom's a rock star. I love her. It says a lot about you. And, I, and, you. and your mom's done an excellent job raising an excellent daughter. Oh, um, and I'm just a huge fan of yours and what you've done. Strong business lady here in town. And if you don't know her, you need to get to know her. But Candace and I talk a lot um, over the day, a lot during the day, about things that are going on in, in real estate. And I know one of the things that was... Uh, concerning you was wholesaling. Yes, absolutely. So Gary, I've been getting a lot of calls from my agents in mm -hmm. the office. Um, investors have been reaching out to them about how to wholesale. Okay. And I also have agents, of course, they're licensed. They want to be wholesalers. So wanted to make sure if we go down this road that we're doing it all the right way. And that's cool. why I called you. All right. Well, let's talk about wholesaling. Um, so for the guys that don't really know what wholesaling is, I think the best way to explain what wholesaling is, is by giving an example. And so the example I like to use is, imagine if a wholesale investor knows somebody that's selling a house, 
and believes that they are going to sell it for around a hundred grand. Mm-hmm. But this wholesale investor also thinks that if he was to market it and do anything to try to sell the house, he could probably sell it for one twenty-five. So what this wholesale investor is doing is he goes to the seller and says, seller, I'll buy your house for a hundred, signs a contract, and then immediately starts marketing that property to anybody he can find yes. for one twenty-five. We see it all the time on right. social media. And, exactly. All and the and they, what they think will happen is at the end of the day is they'll sell the house for one twenty-five, they'll pocket twenty-five, mm-hmm. the seller gets the hundred, the buyer bought the house for one twenty-five, and everybody's happy. That's kind of what they think. That's what they think. The concept is. Absolutely. So, Gary, explain to us what exactly is wholesaling. So, let's compare wholesaling, as we just talked about, a little bit to what flips were. If you remember, to me, wholesaling is flipping. Yes, yes. I remember some seminars and conferences back in the 90s. It was, you know, I was youngin', but (laughs) I remember my mom actually going to some of those and getting some books and, at the time, some VHA S tapes and DVDs. Mm-hmm. And so that's um, exactly what these. they're doing now because yes. when they have these wholesale meetings or webinars or whatever, that's when we start getting the calls. And that's probably when y'all yes. start seeing the information. Yep. And so to me, I agree, wholesaling is a lot like flipping. Back in the 90s, flipping was you bought a property and then you immediately turned around and flipped it for more money because you knew that the house was worth more money than the seller did. Mm-hmm. The problem was a lot of those sellers would use that or a lot of those investors would use the money from when they were selling the property to try to buy the property, meaning that they didn't have any money to buy the house. So they would go under contract to buy it. They would sell it before they even bought it, use that money to buy it, which seems kind of odd. And yes, it was. And a lot of lawyers, a lot of real estate agents, a lot of appraisers got in a lot of problems because what they would do is they'd artificially inflate the values on the back end. The house was really worth what the investor was buying it from, and they were inflating the values through some weird ways. That's interesting, right. Gary. So yeah. I think that's the problem with the flips is that they, they violated Title 18 of the federal law, and so it became an issue. So it's been an issue for a while. Yes. Yeah, so being that this sounds like a major issue, I want to know what does a real estate commission think about it, and is it even legal? Is it compliant? Can you talk to me about that? Absolutely. So I have spoke to a couple of real estate commissioners about um, about wholesaling, and I, and I don't... I think they are all concerned about it. And I think everybody across the country is concerned about it because I don't know that our laws are written very well for us to protect each other. The two issues that I find that most of the real estate commissioners I speak with have is, number one, they think it avoids licensing. So in order to become a real estate agent, how many hours did you have to spend? 60, 90. Yeah. Plus, then continuing education. And and every agent in your office is supervised by you as the broker in charge. Yes, absolutely. So they have duties, you have duties, and if you don't do those duties properly, what can happen to you? We can have our licenses revoked. Right. And suspended, revoked. Suspended, The Realtor Association fine you. There's a lot of things that can happen to you. And so I think our biggest concern is that essentially what these wholesalers are doing is they're trying to be real estate agents. They're trying to find property, mm-hmm. advertise it, sell it. And, and get paid. And get paid for it. Right. And so I think that's a problem the commission definitely recognizes. The second problem, which is my biggest problem with it, and you mentioned this earlier when you and I were talking a few minutes ago, was the social media aspect. Yes. Is it, and what they're doing, what they're doing with the social media. We see a lot of social media groups on Facebook um, advertising properties saying, hey, I have this opportunity. I have a contract on it. Can someone purchase it? My contract is a hundred thousand. I'm looking for a buyer for a hundred twenty. Right. And so my issue with that is, is that does that violate our law on licensing as it t- pertains to marketing? Because as a for sale by owner, I can market my own house all I want. Mm-hmm. There's nothing against that. But I can't market your house. 
And essentially to me, that's what they're doing is you're selling me your house. I'm trying to sell it to a third party. And now I'm out marketing and advertising your house for sale. I'm not licensed to do that in South Carolina. That requires a real estate license. So I think that's the big problem that I'm seeing with the commission. So hopefully they're going to figure it out. It's not an easy issue for them to figure out. So I, you know, I've kind of recognized that for them. Um, and I know it's been a problem around the whole country, but a lot of the yes. commissions hadn't figured it out. So, so how can we do it legally, Gary? If we have an investor that has come across a property and they want, in a sense, um, be a wholesaler right. and flip it, how sure. can we assist them legally okay. as licensed agents? So there are there are ways that the wholesaling can be done legally. And let's talk about. There's going to be two of them. The number one way is to buy it then sell it. Meaning that when the wholesaler finds the finds the seller who wants to sell the house for a hundred, they go ahead and buy it with their own money or through a loan. Once they buy the property and have ownership, then they turn around and sell the property to somebody else for one hundred twenty-five thousand. Okay, so just like that's a perfectly basic. legal. Okay. I buy it, I own it, and now I can sell it. There's Perfect. nothing illegal about that. And there, but there's going to be some issues we'll talk about in a minute. Okay. The second way they can do it is through what's called an assignment. So the wholesaler signs a contract with the seller for a hundred grand, and then they find somebody who's willing to buy it for one twenty-five. Well, essentially, what they would do is they would assign the hundred thousand-dollar contract to that end buyer, and the end buyer would pay him twenty-five thousand dollars for that assignment. So in that scenario, the seller gets their hundred grand. The buyer's buying the house for a hundred grand, but they're paying twenty-five thousand dollars to the seller for that assignment. Okay. But that's got to be done through a proper document called an assignment of contract. That was my next question. Was how yes. is that disclosed? That, it, does that seller understand what's happening regarding that assignment? And that brings us to basically the big question here is what's the problem with them? And, and you're, right. you're bringing up a ton of problems, which we do need to talk about. So let's talk about the first problem is under our first scenario, the buy it and then sell it. Mm-hmm. The problem is most of the wholesalers that I've run across that have gone to these seminars or read something online or whatever, they don't have the money to buy the property. So when they sign a contract to buy it, they have no ability to buy it, hold it, then sell it. So, because we hear OPM. Right. Use OPM in those seminars. Yeah. <laughs> other, other people's, people's money. money. Exactly right. And the problem is you can't use other people's money in that scenario legally. Okay. So let me, say, let me put it to you like this. If I had a Corvette... And you know I would want to sell it to you for ten grand, and you knew my law partner Rex was looking to buy one for about fifteen. There's nothing illegal about you going to Rex and saying, "Hey, I can get your Corvette for fifteen, and he gives you fifteen grand. Then you come to me, you buy it for ten, and then you pocket five. Okay. But it's okay. illegal in housing when there's federal loans involved and there's settlement statements involved and things of that nature. Yes. So it can become illegal. So that's the problem. So most of the time, A, they don't have the money to do it and the, the flip way of doing it doesn't work. The other problem you have is on the assignment of the contract. So if I was buying your house for 100 and Rex was going to buy it for me for 125 so I said, I'm just going to sign you the contract, Rex, and you can buy mm-hmm. it from Candace for 100 How do I get my twenty five? Right. Well, How do you get it? He's got to have 25000 cash. To pay me. Well, people buying $125,000 houses, unless they're investors, typically aren't going to have $25,000 for a down payment. Right. The other problem is, we're like, so what investors will say, well, they can just borrow that money. Well, a lender is going to see the contract, which has been assigned, which is mm-hmm. for 100 grand. I don't know many lenders who are going to loan you $125,000 on a contract for 100 grand. I don't know any, actually. <laughs> I don't either. So, unless that know. end user's paying cash, it makes the transaction just not work. Okay. So, that's the big problem is not having your own money or the 
uh, the assignment not really working out. The other problem you have is, let's say we even have a situation where that end user can borrow their money mm-hmm. and they have twenty five thousand to pay you. Um, that that's going to work perhaps on a, on a, on an assignment, but on a flip where the owner, uh, the wholesaler buys it for a hundred and then turns around and takes title and then sells it for one twenty five. We have this holding requirement. And what that means is most federally backed loans require the seller to have owned the property for at least 90 days before that end user third party buyer can buy it. Okay, Gary. So is that like the FHA flip rule? Yes. Okay. Yes. And that came about because of those flips that you talked about where your mother went to the seminars is that they want to make sure that the appraisals are legitimate, Mm -hmm. that the transaction is legitimate. So they're making that seller hold the property for 90 days. And in some cases, even if it is 90 days, if the value of the property goes up, I think it's 20 or 25 percent from 100 to 125, right. 25 percent increase. That not only do they require 90 days, now they require a second appraisal, Ooh. which you know how much appraisals cost. Yes, I mean, what five, about 500 dollars? Yes, so that costs that end user even more money. Um, the other issues that I've run across is that when the wholesaler signs the contract with the first seller, that seller oftentimes has no idea, do they, what's going on? Right. They don't, they Absolutely don't know, not. and so. What's happening is the wholesaler is basically taking a chance they can sell the property. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes they're wrong, right? Right. They're because right. they really don't have the money. Right. And, and, and ultimately, the reason I think we need to hire real estate agents is because real estate agents are experts at valuing property, mm-hmm. right? And y'all know what the property's worth, how to how to list it, and right. not to we put too much money. We can help run comps and right. see what's going on with e- the market. Exactly. You can run the CMAs. Mm-hmm. And so what happens with these wholesalers, they really don't know the market. So when they look at a house and say, oh, I can get 125 for it, they may be completely wrong. So they signed a contract for hundred grand. They have no intention of buying the house. Right. And so when they can't find the end user, they go into default. Okay. Do they have a, a legal way to back out in, in that most case? cases, no. Oh, in most cases, okay. no. And so now that seller can sue the wholesaler for default. Mm-hmm. And if that wholesaler happens to be a real estate agent, it brings a lot of problems, in my opinion, because I think at that point, that seller could then file a grievance with either the real estate commission or if they're realtors, um, they could file a grievance with the commission or the realtor association saying, you know, they weren't upfront, they weren't honest in what they were doing. There was dishonesty, fraud in the inducement, and right. you could have licensing issues there. And then, of course, the last thing I would say is you're going to wind up with a lot of angry parties in this. I can imagine. Imagine. Could you imagine if, if a seller finds out that you just flipped their house for one twenty five and all you did was assign a, a right, right? I mean, so yes. I think you're going to wind up. So I think there's a lot of, of issues here in wholesaling. Personally, I'm not a huge fan of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't think I'm the biggest fan myself. Right. Um, if we were to do this, or if agents were to do this, what would you say, Gary? They should do as far as disclosing the information to the seller. So if they're going to be the wholesaler investor. Disclose, disclose, disclose. Mm-hmm. They need to disclose that upfront that they're buying the property and they intend to either assign it or buy it and flip it. And they need to put in paragraph 18 of our contract, CCRA or um, whatever contract y'all may be using, put in there that the seller understands that they are buying, they are signing the contract and they intend to flip it or assign it. And if they sign a contract with the buyer, which is actually brings up another proper mm-hmm. problem, what if it's that end end user buyer defaults? Right, <laughs> then be, what happens? Then, then the, you're right. Then the wholesaler can't even buy the property or doesn't want to sign it, and now we got a problem. So I think the wholesaler needs to put information in the contract that if the 
third party buyer doesn't buy it, I have the right to terminate the contract. Okay. Now, how okay. many sellers are going to be happy about that? I don't Not know. Not many. I um, don't think. And if, they're, and if you're, um, and I really don't know a good way where your client, I guess as an agent, you could be in there with the wholesaler helping them find that back end. But I have a problem with that because how do you list property that the wholesaler does not own? Right. Because what does the the scene law state as far as listing property? You have Don't to have the to... signature of the owner. Absolutely. So if a wholesaler comes to you and says he's on contract to sell a house for that he's going to buy for a hundred grand, mm-hmm. he wants to sell it for one twenty five and wants to hire you to do it. You're going to have to get your listing agreement signed by not only the wholesaler but, but by the original seller. There you go. The owner. There you go. All right. Well, cool. I think we covered all those issues. That was great. That's a lot of information. Well, cool. Well, thank you for being our first guest. Thank you. You know, you're number one now with us because you're our first guest. (laughs) And we hope to have you back sometime real soon. I will be glad to be back. Thank you, Gary. Now, this brings us to what I think will be my absolute favorite segment of our podcast. It's Corona Crazy Closings. So this is going to be where you, the listener, can have the opportunity to share some crazy closing things that may have happened to you since March when we basically found out that 2020 was just basically going to suck. Um, So if you have a funny story, a strange story, or a weird story, something that happened during this crazy corona closing time, uh, you can share that with me by simply emailing me at gary at blaircato.com. And when you do, in the subject line, please put crazy corona or crazy closings. And we'll try to share some of these crazy things that have happened uh, to the agents over the last couple of months. Our crazy corona closing experience here at Blair Cato is kind of funny. We had a buyer who was had sold their house earlier in the day at another law firm. And that buyer was using the money from the sale of their house to buy this house. And there was supposed to be some excess funds coming from the sale of that house. So at the end of the closing, they would have enough money to buy this house and have a couple of thousand dollars left over for their pocket. Now, this closing happened back in April. And as you may recall, most closing attorneys in April were doing closings in the parking lot because we had such a beautiful spring. And so we did the closing with this buyer in which they purchased their house in the parking lot. And at the time we went to fund the closing, we did not have any money from that closing attorney. So the buyer decided he was going to sit in the car and wait until the funds hit our account so he could get his remaining funds. We tried to advise the client that they could take hours and we would be happy to just wire the funds to him once we got them from his closing attorney on the sale of his house, but he wanted to wait. So he waited and he waited and he waited. And every time we went out to do a closing for another client, we were beginning to be berated about where his money was and how he was getting mad. At one point, this gentleman told me that if he didn't get his money in the next 15 minutes, he was going to drive his rather large truck through our front door. Uh, we calmed him down at that point and five o'clock rolled around and unfortunately we still didn't have his money, at which point he said he was going to call the police. Well, I thought he was kidding because I've been doing this for 26 years and I've never had a police officer called because of funding. Well, at 5.15, I walk outside and there were three police officers wanting to know what in the world was going on and why they were being called and where this man's money was. So I explained it to him and to the uh, the police officers again that the uh, funding process of sending wires takes a little bit longer than just two minutes. 
and that I'm sure that the lawyer was not stealing his money. Needless to say, the police officers were ready to go home. They, the buyer wanted to have the other attorney arrested. Uh, why, I don't know. But at the end of the day, everybody went home. And then the next morning, of course, the funds came in. Apparently, the closing attorney was having trouble getting the wire sent out because he had to go to the bank to get the wires done. And so that, my friends, is Lawyer Cato's Corona Crazy Closing. Now, if you're one of those people like me that are constantly looking for good news about the real estate market, our local economy, national economy, or even possible cures of the COVID virus, what's going on, then I think this next section is for you. Like many of you, I have grown very, I would say, tired and weary of listening to politicians and the media with their constant drumbeat of bad news. It seems like if there's any bad news at all, then the media will run with that for days in a constant loop. But if there's anything that's hopeful or positive that makes us all feel a little bit better, then it seems just to get buried and barely covered. So about 20 weeks ago, I came up with an idea called Gary's Good News Only. And in conjunction with our legal tips that we send out each week, I would follow that up with a video that would contain only good news about the real estate market, our economy, and the COVID virus. And that series has been extremely well received by realtors and real estate agents in our community. So I thought I would include that here in this podcast. So let's start today with the good news uh, in our real estate market. What we've seen is housing market stays hot into the fall with mortgage applications up 6.8%. That's the headline from Housing Wire on September 23rd. In fact, they said that the refinance index continued its upward growth, gaining 9% last week and jumping 86% higher than the same week just one year ago. Now, CNBC reported that existing home sales jumped to a 14-year high as prices set another record. In fact, what they said was that sales of existing homes rose 2.4% to a seasonally adjusted annualized rate of 6 million units. And according to the National Association of Realtors, the sales were up 10.5% higher compared with August of 2019. And here's the kicker. That's the highest sales pace since December of 2006. Yes, that's before the Great Recession. And lastly, the M report was reporting that housing market shows potential to perform at its highest rate since 2007. Now, in other economic news, CNBC reported a conversation with the St. Louis Federal Reserve President James Bullard. And Bullard is extremely optimistic on the U.S. economy. In fact, he said it's going to be off the charts growth. And what he states is that he sees unemployment falling to 6.5% by the end of the year. And as you'll recall, unemployment at its highest was only 14.7. So that's less than half in just a few months. And unemployment in August was at 8.4%. So he expects it to come down almost two full percentage points. But the best news of all was that the Fed said they expect the biggest quarterly growth of all time in U.S. history. And they're saying it looks like it could be a 30% annualized rate of growth. So think about that for a second. The U.S. gross national domestic product contracted at 31.7% in the second quarter, all due to the shutdown. And now they're saying that the tracker is showing the potential for a 32% growth in the third quarter. So if that happens, that will be considered basically a full recovery on economic growth. That's incredible when you think about where we started and where we are today. Now, let's talk about the COVID cases. What you probably don't realize by listening to most of the media is that the vast majority 
of COVID cases and deaths have decreased tremendously. So let's talk about that. What most people don't know, and I found this all on CDC's website, is that the number of cases in the United States peaked on July 24th. That was the peak day. And since that day, we have shown or seen a 40% decrease in seven-day rolling averages of cases in the United States. For deaths in the United States, April 20th was the peak. And since that week, we are down 67.5% in weekly cases that ended in death. So that is a tremendous decrease of more than half. More than half. It's incredible. The other things we're seeing, according to CDC, is that we're down to 1.6% of all cases that go to the hospital are being presented with COVID-like symptoms. That's not even testing positive for COVID. That's just COVID-like symptoms. So that means 98.4% of the people who go to the hospital aren't there for COVID. Hospitalizations, only 7% of all the inpatient hospitalizations have COVID. That's not saying they were there for COVID treatment. That just means only 7% were even tested positive for COVID. And finally, let's look at the CDC's numbers on the death rate. Now, if you listen to the media, you probably would think that if you catch the COVID virus, that more than likely you're not going to make. In fact, I think they did a survey a couple of months ago that most people thought about 20-something percent of America had died from the COVID virus, which is completely not true. So let me give you the statistics that they have on the CDC's own website. According to the CDC, if you are 0 to 19 years old and you catch COVID virus, your chance of dying from it are 0.0001, which is basically statistically non-existent. If you are 20 to 49, your chances of dying from the COVID, if you contract the COVID at all, is 0.0003. And that, again, is much less than the flu. So if you're under 50 years old, your chances of dying from COVID are statistically pretty minimal. Now, I know a lot of people are like, well, older people get it and they die from it. Well, if you're 50 to 69 years old, it is a little bit more uh, dangerous, but your chances of dying are 0.01. And if you are 70, your chances of dying from COVID are 0.093. So we're not even talking one-tenth of one percent. You're one-hundredth of one percent. So the numbers are showing that things are getting so much better. And that's certainly good news for all of us. Now, I'd like to thank everybody again for listening to our silly little show here. I hope everybody got something valuable out of it. And we promise to be back in a week or so with yet another good show and perhaps another good guest. I'd like to once again thank Candace McEwen from Excel Real Estate for being our very first guest. And if you like us, please like us uh, by giving us five stars because that would be the appropriate number of stars to give us. Y'all have a great week. Look forward to talking to y'all real soon.